Good morning. It is good to be with you today. Uh, I have, my name's Jonathan, and I've, I've been a pastor in Oklahoma now for almost 19 years, so some of you don't know me, but some of you know me very well, uh, warts and all. Uh, some of we have served together in various churches. Uh, some of you have been to your wedding, so it's great to see you and to be here. It's been great getting to know Casey over these last three or so years and I'm just excited about what God is doing here at King's Cross. Thanks for having me. Well, in the 2012 movie, The Avengers, something happens in the movie that impacts every Marvel movie and TV show going forward. You know what it is if you've seen it. The Battle of New York, right? When, when the sky opens and aliens come flying down through a portal in the sky in order to come and to take over the world and set Loki up as the ruler. Now, before this happened, most people in the world had no idea that there was life out there in the universe. And so even though the Avengers win the Battle of New York, uh, there is this collective trauma among the survivors about the fact that aliens are real (laughs) and they might return someday. Well, it's just a movie, of course, but I think we're all fascinated with that question of, is there life on other planets? Is there extraterrestrial life? Maybe more importantly, though, is there supernatural life? Are there angels and demons that could come to Earth? Now, I think a lot of people probably equate the two of those things and find them equally improbable, but maybe possible. Uh, I've been listening to a podcast called uh, Films to be Buried With, and uh, it's done by this actor and comedian who's on the show Ted Lasso, and he, you know, the format is he brings a different guest on the podcast every week, and he, he basically wants to find out what are their favorite movies, and so the way he does that is he says, oh, you've... Pretend you've died and you go to heaven. What movies would you want to take with you if you could go to heaven? But before he gives them that scenario and finds out about their movies, he asks them the question, basically, do you believe that there is a heaven? And every single guest that I've listened to gives basically an answer that sounds something like this. Well, we... We don't really know for sure, or, you know, I'm not really religious, but, and then they either say, well, yes, I hope there is life after death, right? I hope there's a heaven, or no, there's not. Let's just be real. And I think this is pretty common thinking in the world, right? That no one really knows what comes after this life. And, and really, the question of is there a heaven or hell is really kind of comes down to your personality, right? If you're an optimist, well, then you think, yeah, there's heaven, of course, or I hope so. And if you're a pessimist well, or a realist, right? Well, no, of course not. But in Genesis 28, we find out the shocking, scary, but in maybe intriguing news that there actually is a heaven, and, uh, and there is this portal from heaven to earth, and the supernatural is real. 
And we find out this, this revelation in the middle of the story of a man named Jacob. If you've been coming to, to this church, you've been reading a little bit about his life. And uh, this man, Jacob, had a dream about God and about heaven. And sometimes dreams are just dreams, right? But sometimes dreams tell us reality. And if you, if you believe the Bible at all, you know that God often uses dreams to reveal truth to people, right? He, he revealed truth through dreams to Nebuchadnezzar and to a Joseph in the Old Testament and a Joseph in the New Testament and to Pharaoh and to others. Here he, he comes to Jacob in a dream. And to understand kind of the bigger part of what this dream is about, we need to understand Jacob's situation. He is running from, away from home. See, Jacob grew up in a really dysfunctional family. He's a twin brother. He has a twin named Esau. And, and now, I'm a twin, and I know what really everyone should know, which is what? That parents should not have favorites. Now, I think my parents didn't have a favorite between me and my brother. I tried to get them to. I told them that since he, my brother, is older, that he is Esau, I am Jacob, Bible says, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, therefore I must be the loved twin. But my parents kept it pretty neutral, and that's good parenting, right? I don't have favorites. But in Jacob's family, his parents very definitely and very obviously have a favorite. His mother, Rebecca, favors Jacob. His father, though, favors his, his brother, Esau. And Jacob's mother, Rebecca, convinces Jacob to steal the family blessing away from Esau because basically she doesn't think that he's worthy of it. And Jacob agrees to do it, which goes along with who Jacob is. His, literally his name, he's a deceiver. His name means usurper or supplanter. And so he usurps the family blessing away from his brother. And when his brother finds out he is livid, and he vows to kill Jacob. And so Jacob does really the only thing that he can do. He runs away from his brother and gets away from this dysfunctional family. But we meet him in chapter 28 here. He is on the run. He's out in the wilderness all by himself. And he, he lays down to sleep utterly lost, utterly alone. Now, one of my favorite movies is called Joe Versus the Volcano. Now, some of you are shaking your head because it's, it's kind of a polarizing movie. You either love it or you hate it, and I love it. I don't know what to say. Uh, but there's a, there's a scene in the movie where Joe, he's getting ready to go on this journey out to the South Pacific because he's got to go find this island and jump into the volcano. That's the plot. I can't defend it. It's just, okay, you'll have to run with it. So he's, he finds himself in New York City. It's his last night before he's going to go on this, this journey. And he spent the day buying fancy clothes and fancy luggage, and he's staying at this, the fanciest of hotels. He wants to go out to a really nice dinner. He doesn't really know anybody in that part of the city, and so he asks his driver, Marshall, to have dinner with him. Marshall, though, has a family, and he has to get home. And so he says, I can't do it, Joe. And then he says, haven't you got anybody? 
And Joe says, no, but there's certain times in your life when I guess you're not supposed to have anybody. No, there's certain doors you have to go through alone. I think Joseph's onto something there, right? Because sometimes, sometimes loneliness happens because we've made a mess of our relationships. Or maybe somebody has made a mess of our lives and our relationships. But sometimes loneliness just happens. But I think the point is maybe that it doesn't just happen, but that God intends for us to experience some loneliness, to reveal some things about us and to draw us to him. And I think Jacob's loneliness was a combination of both of these things. Certainly his relationships were a mess, but God is also using this time in his life when he is alone to teach him about himself and to draw him to God. And so there's Jacob, alone at night, sleeping in the wilderness. He has a very vivid dream. Now, what is this dream? The dream is about a ladder, a ladder that stretches from earth to heaven, and there are angels ascending and descending the ladder. And God is at the top of the ladder. And he speaks to Jacob. And he tells Jacob that basically, even though you think you're alone, that I am with you. He tells Jacob, not only am I with you now, I'm going to be with you always. And he says, Jacob, you're going to have a family. And then he promises, just like he promised to Abraham, that your descendants, your descendants are going to be incredibly numerous, and they're going to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. Now, I have two recurring dreams. The first one is, maybe you've had this if you're older, like me, where you, uh, there's, I have a final exam in this class that I haven't been to all semester, and I cannot find the classroom, and it's kind of terrifying. But this, the other dream I have is even worse. I dream that I'm stuck in this very tight space and I can't get out and I'm kind of claustrophobic and I wake up, I always wake up from that dream. As soon as I do, as soon as I wake up, I realize, oh, what? it's just a dream. But for Jacob, when he wakes up, he realizes not just a dream. This was real. He says in verse 17, he says, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, the gate of heaven. And so he sets up an altar and he worships. He makes a vow to God. And he even, he vows that he will follow God, that he will give him a tenth of everything that he owns to God's house. You see, when, when God starts to, he reveals himself to Jacob, he starts to change Jacob. Jacob goes from someone who is a taker, a usurper, right, a thief, to someone who now is giving, who is more interested in pursuing God's glory than his own. Well, people have been dreaming about spiritual things as long as humans have walked the earth, right? John Lennon wrote a song about a dream that he had, right? I'm going to read the lyrics. Some of you are going to have the song in your head for the rest of the day. You're welcome. It's called Imagine. He says, imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. 
Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. No religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. Now, thinking about those words, we, we, can, we are definitely sympathetic to the idea that no one should be hurt or killed for their beliefs, right? People need to be free to believe what they believe and to be able to change their beliefs. We certainly can agree with, with John Lennon on that. But the core of this song, the core of his beliefs seems to be that believing in God and an afterlife is what makes people dangerous, right? In his mind, believing that this world is all that there is is actually a good thing. It's what makes peace possible, right? The logic here is that if we would just see that this life is all there is and it's all about loving people rather than you know, trying to uh, appease a demanding, wrathful God, then, then peace would be possible and we could pursue it together. Now, the problem with that, of course, is that the, the scoreboard of history tells us something very different. Right? That it's often the people who don't believe in God, who don't believe in afterlife, that are least interested in peace. Right? Who, who feel the need to get power and what they want in this life. People like Joseph Stalin, who killed somewhere around 20 million people. Chairman Mao Zedong, possibly killed up to 70 million people. Men who are atheists who did not believe in God in an afterlife. Now, it's certainly true that Christians have not always been peaceful. The Crusades are a particularly troubling part of our history. And Christian theology does say that there is a time for a just war. But the core of what the scripture, scriptural message is, is that God ultimately wants peace. That he desires peace and that as Christians we ought to work for peace. Right? This is part of what the angel uh, told the shepherds in the Christmas story. Glory to God in the highest on earth. Peace among men upon whom his favor dwells. Now, there are two kinds of peace that we need. Right? There, is, there is the peace between people and between people groups that the Bible does envision in the future. But also a peace between heaven and earth. The reality of Jacob's ladder is that there is a connection between heaven and earth. There's a ladder that can be climbed. And everybody in some way is trying to climb this ladder. Let me ask you this morning, how are you trying to climb the ladder to heaven? Is it by doing good works, by being kind, nice to people, by raising perfect children, by going to church every Sunday, reading the Bible, praying, feeding the poor, right? Are these the ways that we climb the ladder? Well, there's a, there's a practical question that comes up when we, when we think about that Jacob's ladder, which is what, like, seems like it would be really high, doesn't it? <laughs> to get to heaven, a ladder would have to stretch really high. 
And so that's, that seems like a really long journey to make. Now, of course, if you ever do any uh, rock climbing or hiking, uh, mountain climbing, if you do some, that seriously, right, like if you want to climb Mount Everest or something like that, what's, what do you want to do? You want to you study the people who've done it before you, right? If you want to go up Mount Everest, you've got to study Sir Edmund Hillary and whoever else has climbed it. If you want to free solo El Capitan, you need to study Alex Honnold, right? Well, thinking about spiritual mountain climbing... Maybe the, the most religious person in the world, the godliest person who ever tried to do it. Well, I think about two people. One in the Old Testament was Moses, right, who wrote this story. Moses, it was said that he was the most humble man on the face of the earth. But even Moses was reprimanded by God for not being good enough, for sinning right before they got to the promised land, couldn't go in. And in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, the great church leader and church planter, he talks about his struggle to, to climb the ladder himself. And he ultimately says, all my efforts were like garbage. Couldn't do it myself. In fact, in his letter to the, to the church in Rome, he says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Because we're not, we're not strong enough to climb this ladder. We're not, we're not spiritual enough, right? We're not, we're not good enough. Our sin and our selfishness keep us tethered to the earth. We need God to come down the ladder to us. If we're ever going to make it to heaven, if we're ever going to have peace with God, we need a God to come down to us. And that's exactly what he did. You know, in, in John chapter 1, we meet a man named Philip who, who meets Jesus and he becomes one of his followers. And so the first thing that Philip does is he goes and he tells his friend Nathaniel about Jesus. He says, Nathaniel, there's... Uh, we found the one that Moses and the prophets talked about, Jesus of Nazareth. Nathaniel's very skeptical. Nazareth? That place? Can anything good come out of there? And Philip says, yeah, yeah, just come on. You got to meet him. And, and so they're going to meet Jesus. And, and as they approach Jesus, Jesus sees Nathaniel. And he says this, he says, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Now, that's a funny thing to say to someone you've never met before, right? First thing you say, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. What's Jesus doing here? He is, he's dropping a big hint to Nathaniel that, Nathaniel, I know you. We've never met, but I know you. And he knows that Nathaniel is a student of the Old Testament, and so he drops this reference that Nathaniel will recognize, right? An Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Because who's the Israelite who was full of deceit? Jacob, right? Nathaniel hears that. He, he believes that Jesus is God. And then Jesus follows that up by saying, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God 
ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Isn't that interesting? Again, a reference to Jacob, this time to to Jacob's ladder. But Jesus says this, this ladder isn't made of wood, it's made of flesh. And he uses that title, the Son of Man. Jesus uses that for himself over 80 times in the gospel. What's he saying? He's saying that I am Jacob's ladder. He's saying that he's the stairway to heaven. That he's the only one who can unite heaven and earth. The only one who can be the mediator between heaven and earth. The only one who can bring peace between the two. Yes, well, well, you know, how, how does he do that? How can he unite heaven and earth? And the answer is because he's the only person, the first, I should say the first person, who came down, descended from heaven, and ascended back. And being God and man, he was the only one who could unite the two together and bring peace between the two. This is the ultimate message of Christmas, right? of the incarnation, that God descended from heaven to us who are unable to ascend to him. Uh, Jonathan and Emily Martin, they're a uh, musical duo that wrote an original Christmas album. And uh, one of the songs conveys this truth of Jacob's ladder. It's called, called God Came Down to Us. Listen to these words. We'd have no power, we'd have no strength to ever reach him. We'd have no hope if left on our own to ever find him. All of our will, all of our might could never reach his holy height. We could build a tower up to the sky, waste our lives trying to climb, or look with faith to the one who's called Emmanuel, coming down to raise us up with him. Emmanuel, can you believe it? God came down to us. Friends, Jesus is... Jacob's ladder, the ladder to heaven. If you put your faith in him, you will have heaven opened to you. You see, every other religion teaches that we have to work our way to God on our own, right? That you have to climb the ladder through good works, through righteous living, through obedience. The problem is that as I kind of alluded to before, we're, we're never really told how much we have to do, right? Never really told how, how high is the ladder, right? How many rungs does each good thing that I do <laughs> go? And when I do something really bad, do I have to start over? Do I just get knocked down a few rungs? It's never clear, right? The best that basically can be offered is that in a workspace religion, uh, you do, you try to be a good person and hope that when you die that you have just done enough to get to heaven. Only Christianity offers certainty. Certainty, number one, you can't make it up the ladder yourself. But two, that God came down to die for you. And when you put your faith in him, you will ascend the ladder to heaven. My question this morning is very simple. Do you want to go to heaven? You, to do so, you have to respond to the call of Christ to make him your Savior and Lord. There is no other way. 
There is no other ladder. Only Christ. And if you reject Christ, you're really left with one of two possibilities. Either you can reject the whole concept of the ladder, right? The concept of God and eternity and eternal life. Just like John Lennon, right? Like many of Brett Goldstein's guests, it's probably nothing. Or you can try to climb the ladder yourself. Good luck. Because no one outside of Jesus ever did it by themselves. But if you trust in him, follow him, all of heaven and eternity is opened up to you. And if you've never committed your life to Christ, today you stand at the gate of heaven as Jacob did. Will you choose eternal life or eternal death? Now, coming to Christ doesn't just change the future after we die. It also changes how we live right now, right? Because in Christ, the Bible says that we are right now citizens of heaven, even though in some ways we have not climbed the ladder yet, in Christ we have already been brought up the ladder to heaven. We are already citizens of heaven and we can go up the ladder through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is, this is what prayer is about, right? How is your prayer life? I know that mine can get rather stale at times, right? If I'm honest, sometimes I think is. Is anybody listening, right? Are my prayers doing anything? Well, maybe maybe you identify with that. But I want you to imagine the next time you pray. I want you to imagine that as you pray, your prayers are going up the ladder to heaven. And that God is at the top and he hears every word that you say and he cares. Your prayers matter in heaven. Another thing that changes now is now that we have this knowledge of what heaven, that there is a heaven and how to get there, we now become responsible to share that knowledge, right? We need to tell people that heaven is real and that there is only one way through a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, I think about uh, something I read years ago, uh, Penn Gillette, who is one of the magicians in Penn and Teller. He once, uh, he's an atheist, by the way. He once said this. He said, you know, if you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think it's really not worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them? Really interesting, coming from an atheist, isn't it? But he's right, right? We, if we love people, we'll tell them something that may be hard to hear, maybe socially awkward, but which could make the difference in eternity. Well, the ultimate gospel hope, right? We start in Genesis and we trace the theme of the gospel all through the Bible, all the way to the book of Revelation, is that eventually, not only will we ascend the ladder to heaven, but that heaven will actually come down and join with earth. 
that after the second coming of Christ, after the last days, that Jesus' work as the bridge between the two will be done because heaven and earth will be one. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you do not leave us to stumble around this world uh, trying to put together what we might possibly think is real and what is true, but you have actually revealed us yourself to us. And you have revealed that you are real, that heaven is real, and that we can get there through the mediatorial work of Christ. Father, we thank you for sending your only son to die for us and to become one of us. And Father, as, as that truth pervades our lives, would we long for heaven more and more. I also want to tell those around us how to get there. Father, Ground us in these truths and move us forward as your church. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.